tuned into How to OT, making research more accessible and more consumable for the occupational therapy practitioner. Here's your host, Matt Brandenburg. Okay, on today's episode of How to OT, I sit down with Mickey Clevin. It's another one of my classmates here at Wash U in St. Louis. She is also a dog mom, a baker extraordinaire, and you were just telling me you also have an Etsy page where you sell Disney ears. Yep, I make Mickey ears and sell them on my Etsy shop. Also have an Instagram for it. Very cool, very cool. Yep. <laughs> well, if you want to plug it, <laughs> we're we're a Disney supporting podcast yeah, now. It's uh, Mickey's Ear Shop, but Mickey's is still like my name, which is M I C K I. Not M I C K E Y. No. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed that though. <laughs> awesome. Well, Mickey, do you want to share with our listeners maybe what area of OT you want to work in, or any fun facts or past experience you'd like to? Sure. So my main interest in OT is actually kind of a little bit of a niche area, which is wheelchair seating. Um, so that's a, a lot of my research is with wheelchair users because of that. And I actually came in really interested in pediatrics. Um, but because of the lab I joined and then working with the wheelchair rugby team, I've kind of shifted my area of focus. Very cool. Yeah, very niche area. Mm -hmm. And today we're going to be talking about your research project, which is called Exploring Feedback Used in Training Efficient Manual Wheelchair Propulsion. Um, so that fits your niche pretty well. I'd it say. does, yeah. <laughs> what inspired you to take on this project and what kind of what sparked your interest in working with this population? So when I first came to WashU, I knew I wanted to kind of expand my lab experience outside of pediatrics since I initially thought that was what I would kind of go into. So I met Carrie Morgan, who's a total boss and awesome, and decided I needed to be in her lab no matter what the content was, basically. <laughs> I just wanted to learn from her. So I joined her lab and pretty much all of her research is focused on wheelchair users and improving kind of community mobility for them. So working with her is what shifted me in that direction originally. And then just being in that, or in that population kind of sparked my interest in it. Yeah. And Carrie Morgan, she's also a guest, a former mm -hmm. guest on How to OT season one, uh, had a great interview with her and she is so smart, such a good professor, and does such powerful research, um, I guess is a good word for it. Yeah. Not to mention, you know, Paralympian and super awesome mom to the cutest two-year-old twins now. I can't believe they're two, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that is pretty amazing. Um, also world champion. Yeah. I mean, you know, just low-key. She's <laughs> super cool. <laughs> How does she do it all? <laughs> Um, all right. Well, before we dive into the design and details of your project, let's discuss your literature review. What were some of the main takeaways you found in reviewing the existing scientific literature surrounding manual wheelchair users? So a lot of the research out there is looking at what way people should propel their wheelchairs or what type of skills they should be learning and the effects that that has on them, both on like their body and their independence and their daily activities. 
Um, so the literature that really relates to my study is focused more on the propulsion and like what techniques are appropriate for people to use and if they don't use those techniques, what might happen. So something really common is for people to get repetitive use injuries in their shoulders, elbows or wrists, like rotator cuff tears or tendonitis um, due to pushing in a way that is inefficient and puts extraneous load on their upper extremities. Um, so that's kind of where this started. And then our lab has been trying to come up with a protocol to teach people to push efficiently that can hopefully be used in inpatient rehab. Um, so that's kind of the background of it. And then with the queuing, there really isn't anything out there specific to manual wheelchair users. So that's kind of where this started. <laughs> yeah. I love how you brought the queuing aspect into it because having a manual or a protocol to follow mm -hmm. is important and essential, but knowing how to deliver that manual and follow that protocol in a way that makes the most sense um, to your client is essential as well, I think. Right. And we're mainly following motor learning um, literature and the way that we built this protocol. And a lot of that focuses on feedback given in a very limited manner to promote kind of problem solving and allowing the person to think through things without you just spoon feeding it to them. That way, hopefully they'll retain it in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I love that principle. Um, so I want to ask you, what are some of the repercussions if someone doesn't learn to propel their wheelchair correctly and efficiently? So I kind of already touched on it a little bit, but a lot of those repetitive use injuries, um, that's going to be kind of your biggest issues. And if you think about a manual wheelchair user, uh, they use their arms for pretty much everything, transferring, propelling, doing all their daily activities. And if they get some sort of a upper extremity problem, like a rotator cuff injury, that's going to take their independence level down and make it a lot harder for them to do those things. Not saying that propelling efficiently is going to completely eliminate that possibility, but it will hopefully decrease the risk of that. Yeah. Awesome. So this is something that will have a lasting impact on someone's life from the moment they start using a manual wheelchair and forward. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the objective of your project specifically? So my main objective was just to kind of look at the queuing trends that came out of the current study my lab was doing. Um, so I was one of the trainers and during training we would write down every single cue that someone got, what type of cue it was, um, and when in the session they received it. And then at the end of that, looking at what queuing trends appeared and kind of maybe making like a roadmap for what people might need in this protocol to learn efficient manual wheelchair propulsion. Awesome. And I think to give some of our listeners more of a background, can you explain for us what a propulsion pattern is and what the clinical practice guidelines for good patterns are? Yeah, I forget that not everyone is entrenched in the wheelchair world like <laughs> I am. Yeah. Um, so a manual wheelchair propulsion pattern is just the way that someone moves their arm, like the actual like pattern they create with their hand or their arm when they push. Um, it's kind of hard to explain with words. It's much better to explain with a visual, <laughs> but kind of- Sorry we don't have that yeah. <laughs> 
but kind of the way we tell people to push is if you're think about like the motion a train makes you want to make that semi-circular pattern when you're pushing so we tell people to push like a train um, and the clinical practice guidelines expressly state you want to decrease the force output that you're putting through the extremi upper extremities so you want long smooth strokes and then you want to let your hands relax during the rest phase of the push so you're not using any like extraneous muscles and decreasing the force awesome so now we got a little background you're preparing all of us to be able to provide this <laughs> intervention now i hope um and how are these guidelines taught in a motor learning approach so motor learning approach again relies on kind of limited cueing to help improve that problem solving um, but it also requires a lot of high repetition so our intervention was six sessions and each session was about an hour long and they were doing five trials within each of the six sessions okay. starts to get a little confusing with all the numbers but basically we we're just trying to reach high repetitions of an efficient manual wheelchair propulsion pattern and then if someone like regressed or did something that wasn't efficient we would give them a cue perfect um what types of cues were you you're using so if you're familiar with the efpt we used indirect verbal, direct verbal, gestural, and then tactile cues. That's the progression we followed, um, which does differ from the EFPT, but that is the way that our lab chose to do it. Perfect. Um, and you mentioned you were using, did you mention that you were using the wheelchair propulsion test? That's yeah. what you were Yeah, I didn't mention that yet, of? but okay. um, we did use that kind of as an assessment uh, just to see if they were propelling efficiently. So we did that at the assessment, baseline assessment, and then we did it at the beginning and end of each intervention session. And we tracked um, like efficiency, which is one of the formulas on there. And then we also looked at the actual pattern they were doing during the wheelchair propulsion test. Okay. And what does that test consist of? How long is it? What types of movements are people doing? Yeah, it's pretty simple. You just have them push in a straight line for 10 meters. And you tell them to push at their normal, comfortable pace, and you time them. There you go. Pretty Very simple. simple. Yep. <laughs> Something you can do in basically any setting. Yep. Awesome. And so you mentioned earlier the goal is according to the practice guidelines, is to help clients use long, smooth strokes mm -hmm. and drop their hands to the axle during that resting period. Mm -hmm. um, what would you say to clients to help them do that? So they initially got an education session on the clinical practice guidelines. So they actually got to see a video, which again, like I said, the visual is really helpful for this. Yeah. Um, and then they got a handout sheet. So we would kind of mirror the language that they got in their education session of just trying to remind them to reach back as far as they comfortably can, push far as far forward as they comfortably can, and then when they release, just to relax their hands and let them go towards the axle. Okay. Perfect. And could you maybe give us an example of an indirect verbal, direct verbal, and follow all the way through to yeah. hands-on assistance? So if someone wasn't doing the correct propulsion pattern, um, the indirect verbal cue 
might be remember what we're focusing on this session. So that way it gives them that chance to kind of problem solve and correct themselves before I move on to the direct verbal cue and tell them exactly what isn't going as I want it to go. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be like, it was wrong, but <laughs> use negative language. <laughs> but um, So it gives them the chance to kind of self-correct. And then for a direct verbal cue, um, let's say they were focusing on dropping their hands to the, to the axle. I would have them stop before I gave them the cue. That way they're completely focused on what I'm telling them. And then I would tell them, okay, remember, I want you to relax your hands when you're resting to let it drift down towards the axle. So it'd be very specific and direct to exactly what we were focusing on for that trial. And then um, a gestural would be me showing them uh, like myself. So maybe getting in a chair if they need that visual or just standing next to them in the same orientation they're facing and doing the movement I want. And then tactile would be me actually grabbing their hand and moving it in the pattern that I want it to go. Perfect. Thank you for explaining that. Mm -hmm. um, what did you find to be the most common and the most effective way of cueing? So because we had that preset progression in place, um, the indirect cue, indirect verbal cue was the most common. And I found that most people didn't ever get above a direct verbal cue. So once you told them exactly what you wanted them to focus on, they would kind of go back and I think I only had one or two participants who ever got to gestural or tactile. Awesome. So it, it sounds like you mentioned that was one of your goals is to help people kind of problem solve on their own and come up with their own solutions. And based off of that trend, it sounds like that's what your program was able to do. Yeah. And it was cool, too, because then we could look at the WPT, that wheelchair propulsion test data at the end and see if people did actually end up using an efficient propulsion pattern at the end. And a majority of them were. So that was encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. And after these results, you looked at three participants more in depth as mm -hmm. case studies as well. What were you looking for in conducting those case studies? So the reason we pulled out the three case studies was when we looked at the queuing data, there were kind of three main trends that appeared. So we took one participant from each of those trends and just kind of broke down their data a little bit further, hoping to figure out maybe why one person needed cues consistently throughout the entire training, whereas one person only needed cues at the beginning and then was totally good throughout. Um, just kind of trying to break that down and see if anything appeared. Yeah. And so those were two of the trends yeah. needing consistent cueing less as uh, the intervention mm -hmm. went on. What was the third trend? So the third trend was someone needing just a couple of cues in the beginning, and then when we added in route variation or speed variation, um, kind of needing a sudden increase in queuing again. Okay. So when those real-world factors came in, they had more to think about and needed the cue just to kind of remain on track with the propulsion pattern. Yeah. So what did you find from looking at these three case studies more in depth? I think mainly what I found is that while the queuing trends are important and overall most people did need increased queuing with like route variation or speed variation, um, all manual wheelchair users are 
so different because we have people with spinal cord injuries, MS, CP, that it, it does kind of come down to like an individual basis with what someone's going to need with cueing, but that if you give them that chance to self-correct, eventually they'll get there and we'll retain that information. Um, something that we didn't really look into that I think was very unfortunate that would be very telling was buy-in to the education and the training. Um, Cause I know for a fact, we did have a participant whose data is in my paper that did not believe in this training. <laughs> um, so having that information, I think would have made this even more powerful to be able to be like, yeah, he didn't propel correctly, but he also didn't believe that this was important. So <laughs> <laughs> very interesting. And what would you say can help practitioners or students working with a client who uses a manual wheelchair? How do you get them to buy into using these propulsion techniques? I think just giving them that background information on like what can happen in the long run if they aren't propelling correctly. So telling them about what can happen to their shoulders and if there's someone who's highly visual or very technical, even maybe pulling out like a diagram of the muscles in their shoulders and um, explaining exactly kind of what can happen. And it, it almost sounds like a scare tactic a little <laughs> bit, but I think it's important information for them to know that there's a possibility with their diagnosis, whatever is putting them in that manual wheelchair, um, it's just important to be able to take care of their body so they can be as independent as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And the one thing you mentioned in your paper as well is how um, manual wheelchair propulsion becomes automatic over mm -hmm. time. Uh, so someone's not thinking about it, just like, you know, if I'm walking down the street, mm -hmm. I'm carrying a conversation, not thinking about where I'm putting my feet. Um, but it, it saves time to start off using correct propulsion techniques. So then down the road, when you do have these overuse mm -hmm. injuries, you don't have to relearn and then you have to break down bad habits before you can build the new ones. So you might as well just start off with a clean slate. Right, yeah. We had a manual wheelchair user in our study who's been in a chair for like 16 years. And he was great because I got lots of tips from him as a <laughs> practitioner for someone with manual wheelchair. Um, but he was saying how he had, he really wished he had learned this back in inpatient rehab because he knew like that his shoulders were going to give out eventually. He knew this was the right way to push, but he was saying how hard it was to relearn those habits. Wow. That's a, that's a great clinical example. Um, are there any other stories or, or clinical examples you'd like to share of, of how this manual or, or this cueing style helped a client achieve a positive health outcome? Um, I had one younger guy who had been in a chair for a couple of years and he was kind of funny to do this with because he was a person who talked with his hands a lot while he was pushing his chair. He'd give like one push and then like carried on a conversation with his hands for like a good five seconds as he just coasted. <laughs> um, and he, he was one I had to cue a good amount, but it was more because he would just get so caught up in his conversation. Um, so I don't have like the best like outcome story because I, I don't know exactly what number he is in my paper. I have to go back <laughs> and look. But I think um, he was, he just received it really well because even though I had to cue him a lot, he knew like 
it was like coming from a good place and we were having a good time, like doing the training and having that conversation. And he, he would always just be like, Oh, I always talk with my hands. I do this all the time. <laughs> like get after himself. But I don't think I ever actually did give him a direct cue. He just needed that gentle reminder <laughs> of what we were doing. <laughs> That's awesome. It sounds like it was a great project. And I want to ask you more um, now about some of the personal or, or opinion aspects of your experience uh, to start off. To start out, what have you enjoyed most about completing this project? Um, I think getting a almost clinical experience, but in a very research-based setting was something very unique to my research experience. I know WashU has a lot of different research labs kind of set up, and not everyone has a super research-based <laughs> lab experience like I do. Um, and that's not something I was necessarily looking for when I came in. But like I said, I like just had to be with Carrie. So <laughs> here I am. Um, but I think it was really cool to get that experience. Um, but I think it'll also translate really well into the clinical field because I did get to work with so many different people and see how they responded to the queuing and be able to take that into whatever practice setting I end up in. Yeah. And that leads perfectly into my next question. How do you think your involvement with this project is going to influence your future career decisions um, or future practice? Well, it's like I was leading up to this. Um, <laughs> I think I'll definitely be the annoying clinician who's like very like finicky about giving cues in the future because of this, for better or for worse. Um, and I just think, I got to talk to so many different levels of many wheelchair users, newer users, um, really experienced users, people with all kinds of diagnoses, and got to get a lot of advice from them about what they wish their clinicians had done or had asked them about or focused on. I think I'll be able to take that forward with me when I get to hopefully do seating or work with this population in the future. Absolutely. So all of those seating OT specialists <laughs> who are looking for the next protege. I'm your gal. <laughs> awesome. Um, what do you hope that occupational therapy practitioners take away from your findings? I would love for them to take away the cueing aspect, but I think the most important thing is just teaching good habits early on in the inpatient rehabilitation process um, so that I don't have to take a user who's been in a chair for 16 years and break their habits yeah. <laughs> um, before he ends up hurting his shoulder. So I think that's probably the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's a great one for sure. Awesome. Well, Mickey, I want to ask you now if there's anyone you'd like to acknowledge or thank in the completion of this research. Well, I've mentioned her a couple of times, so I obviously have to thank Carrie. Um, and then I would definitely also thank Carla Walker. She helped me with a lot of the trainings and we did some of them together. And I've also gotten to do a lot of seating stuff with her through the lab, which has been great. Um, also Sue Tucker, who's helped a lot with this project and other projects. And then uh, Carly and Julie um, have been huge helps and we've all been involved in each other's projects from the start and definitely would not have been the same lab experience without them. That's awesome. All such great students and practitioners and educators too. Um, 
And you guys all kind of work together with the local wheelchair rugby team too, right? Yeah, uh, Carly and I have been volunteering with them since second year. And then Sarah uh, was until she pieced out Texas on us. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, just everyone I've met through the lab and through this experience, like the rugby team is amazing. And I'm so glad I got to be a part of it. And hopefully we'll get to do it during the fall if everything starts back up again. So um, that'll be fun. Yeah, that would be awesome. And I had the opportunity to volunteer with that wheelchair rugby team during my first year mm -hmm. here. And for people who don't know about wheelchair rugby, it is an awesome sport. They oh, also yeah. call it murder ball. Yep. There's a documentary called murder ball. Go check it out. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. And it seems also that your research, like what you're looking at is so applicable to a clinical setting, mm -hmm. but also a, a leisure type setting. And, you know, helping members of wheelchair rugby team know how to push more efficiently when they're on the court competing. Yeah, we definitely have uh, pilfered some of the rugby guys to come in for research studies. So <laughs> they all push pretty well at this point because they've been through the gambit, but <laughs> definitely agree. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Awesome, Mickey. Well, it's time for our golden nugget segment. Oh, God. <laughs> don't be intimidating it's a great segment my personal favorite i always try and hype it up a lot okay <laughs> but what is one thing you've learned from this process that you wish everyone knew this is not related to my research but when you're transferring someone out of a rugby chair make sure their seat belt is unbuckled or that rugby chair is coming right back down on your foot and it will hurt. <laughs> that is a great piece of advice. <laughs> Always double check for restraints. <laughs> Always. Awesome. Awesome, Mickey. Honestly, this was such a fun interview. It's been so fun going to school with you. Um, so I really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, I guess uh, one good question. Mm -hmm. What resources would you recommend to someone if they want to learn more about propulsion or specifically your study or the manual that your lab is developing, where can they go? Uh, so you can look up the clinical practice guidelines for upper limb preservation uh, with manual wheelchair propulsion. It's quite the mouthful, yeah. but that's out there <laughs> and freely available. Um, and as far as our study goes, hopefully I'm going to get this published sometime in the nearby future. So you can keep an eye out for that. Yeah. Well, thank you for all you do in upper limb preservation. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Thanks for listening to How to OT. Tune in next time for another episode where we bring accessible and consumable research straight to you. Hey, hey, hey I'm on vacation every single day because I love my occupation. Hey, 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 I'm on vacation. If you don't like your life, should go and change it hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day cuz I love my occupation hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day every every single day hey, I'm on vacation every single day cuz I love my occupation hey, 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 I'm on vacation every single day every every single day like a lemon tree I'm just smiling down upon my enemies
pride, so thankful for everything. Rejuvenating my inner light as I work hard for all I need. Open arms, embracing life and all the which you gave to me. How work it pays off, I'm happy now, it's paying me. Close my eyes sometimes and feel as if I blow away. I love the life, I live and enjoy the ride along the way. I'll make a living out of living, yeah, that's what I say. I got one life to live and I wouldn't live in no other way. Go and change it. If you don't like your life, then you should go and change it.